0: Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to us now and teach us your word by his power so that we would respond with his power with praise from our mouths to your name and to the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well this morning we are having a Christmas service even though it's not the 25th of December Uh, but this is the time here at Des Moines Baptist for many years where we have had a Christmas service and then we have a lunch afterwards which you're welcome to stay for as well. And so I usually preach some sort of Christmas related sermon at this and so today I chose to preach on the text that is before us from Matthew chapter 1 which gives us the account of how the birth of the Lord Jesus came about. How did the birth of the Lord Jesus come about? Well This woman called Mary, who was engaged to Joseph, was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. We saw that in verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, what did Joseph, Mary's fiancee, think of this? Well, he was ready to cancel the engagement privately. The fact that she was Pregnant, all of a sudden, uh, meant that he was not particularly keen to marry her anymore, but he was concerned for her nonetheless. And so we read in verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But what happened to Joseph's plans? Well, they were interrupted. How were they interrupted? It was by an angel visiting him in a dream and uh, telling him that he should marry Mary as the pregnancy is from the Lord. And uh, we read that in verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is, received, uh, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph was obedient and he took Mary as his wife, but the angel told him to do something else as well. Not just take Mary as your wife, but he had another instruction for him. And what was that? Well, the angel told Joseph specifically what he was to name the child, what he was to name the child. And we read that in verse 21. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The angel was concerned that Joseph would name this child appropriately. And what is the name that he wanted him to give to this child, wanted Joseph to give to this child? It is the name Jesus. Now, why Jesus? Why this name Jesus? Well, we see in verse 21 that it is explained to us. It says, because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is given to Jesus, this son of Mary, because he will save his people from their sins. What does that mean? There's different ways that we can understand that we can be saved from sins. One of the first ways that we understand this is we're saved from the consequences of our sin. What is the consequence of our sin? All the times that we've broken God's law, what is the consequence? Well, it is pain, it is suffering, punishment for our sins. But this man, Jesus, he would be one who would save people from the consequences of their sin. And what else does Jesus save people from? What would this man go on to do? He would save them from the power of sin, from the power of sin, so that we do not sin, so that we cannot sin against the Lord as we desire to do so. But why the name Jesus? It says it is because he will save his people from their sins, but how does the salvation from sins relate to the name Jesus? Well, the name actually literally means, if you translate the name, it means the Lord saves. It originally is a name from Hebrew and the name Joshua. And so if you translate the word Joshua in Hebrew, it breaks down into the Lord saves, and then it's brought over into the Greek language, which the New Testament is written in, and translated as Jesus. And we understand this about names. You can translate your names, you can look up what your name means, and you can then see uh, how it was formed in the language that it was first written in. And that's the same with the name Jesus. It was originally from Joshua, which means the Lord saves, which is then appropriate if this man is going to go on and save his people from their sins. The Lord saves is the meaning of the name. And what's Jesus going to go and do? He's going to go on and save his people from their sins. But why the name Jesus as well? Well, it actually has a history, a heritage for the Jews. As the Jews, like a man like Joseph, as he hears this name Jesus, as he hears the name Joshua, There's a very important Joshua that would have sprung up in his mind, that the Jews would have known, the Jews who were faithful and read their Old Testaments and knew their history as to the big events that had happened to their people in the past. When they hear the name Joshua, there was a whole heritage that would have sprung up in the mind. And so Jesus is actually the fulfillment of a shadow of a man called Joshua in the Old Testament, a man in Israel's distant past, Who was this man, Joshua, that the Israelites would have known all so well? Well, he was the aide, he was the helper of Moses, another man that was significant in Israelite history. Who was Moses? Moses was the man who led the Israelites out of Egypt when they were enslaved in Egypt by Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He led them out with the 10 plagues and he was meant to take them into the promised land. But what happened? Well, the Israelites, didn't enter into the promised land. Why didn't they enter into the promised land? Well, if you read in the Old Testament, you see that the Israelites didn't want to enter into the promised land. They refused to go in. Moses sent some spies into the land. They came back, the spies, and said, the land is a good land. But because of their report of how formidable the enemies of the Israelites in the land would be, the Israelites refused to enter in. They were afraid of what? They were afraid of the short-term pain of fighting the enemies of God. And so they refused to go in. And so, what happened to the Israelites who refused to follow Moses and to follow his aid, Joshua, into the promised land? They died in the desert. They wandered for 40 years in the desert and died in the wilderness. But what did Joshua do? Moses died in the desert as well, but what did Joshua do? Joshua, he came out of the promised land and told the Israelites to go into that good land. He saw them refuse. But then 40 years later, after that whole generation had refused to go into the promised land, had died in the desert, 40 years later, the next generation of Israelites, what did they do? They trusted Joshua. They trusted Joshua to take them into the promised land and God commanded Joshua to do that. We read that just before in Joshua chapter one, the instruction given from God to be strong and courageous and go into the promised land and he would give them triumph over their enemies. And what did the Israelites do? What did Joshua do? They entered into the promised land. 40 years after that first expedition of those spies had gone in and the Israelites had refused to go in because they didn't trust Moses, they didn't trust Joshua, they didn't trust in God. After they had all died off, then the Israelites entered into the promised land and they fought the enemies of God and they were triumphant. God gave them great victory under the leadership of Joshua. Joshua led them into the promised land. Joshua fought the enemies of God and they were triumphant and they inherited the promised land. They inherited this good land that was flowing with milk and honey was the description that was given of it. The Israelites got to live in that promised land. And so Joshua was the one who came from out of the promised land, told the Israelites we should go in and eventually they did, and the next generation of Israelites trusted him, followed him in, he fought the enemies and they inherited the land. So how is this helpful as we look at the name Jesus this morning and look at this man, Jesus, who is the son of Mary? Well, then how is Jesus the new Joshua? How is Jesus like the new Joshua? How does Jesus fulfill the shadow of Joshua in the Old Testament? Well, we understand he's very similar to the Joshua of the Old Testament. Many parallels can be seen amongst him. He's come from a land of milk and honey. Where did Jesus come from? Where did this son of Mary come from? He came from heaven. The Bible tells us he is the man from heaven. He came from heaven itself, the land of milk and honey in one sense. Why is the land of milk and honey heaven? Well, it's a place of untold blessings. It is a place of great blessings where there is no sin, there is no pain, there is no death, and there is blessing upon blessing for those who live there. And so Jesus is like Joshua. He's come out of the promised land and told us about this good land. And how is Jesus also like the new Joshua? How is he like the old Joshua? And so he's now a new Joshua for us. If we trust Jesus, if we trust the new Joshua and follow him, he tells us we can enter into that land as well. We can follow him and enter into that land. And how will he do that? By fighting our enemies, by fighting our enemies so that we can enter into that land. Just like Joshua in the Old Testament fought the enemies of God so they could enter into the promised land, Jesus, the new Joshua, fights our enemies so that we can go into that land that he has come from, that land of heaven, so that we can be taken there and rest in heaven itself. But then the question is raised, what enemy does Jesus save us from? Joshua, clearly in the Old Testament, he saved God's people from the Canaanites who attacked them who were against them and were enemies of God themselves. They were godless people who were fighting against God. How does Jesus save us from our sins? After all, that's what we read in verse 21. He is the one who saves his people from their sins. And that is our great enemy. That is our great enemy, sin. Sin is our great enemy. Why is sin our great enemy? Because it desires to have us and kill us. It desires to destroy us. We see this way back in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 4, where Cain, the son of Adam and Eve, the first parents, what is he told by God? Sin is crouching at your door and desires to have you. He is warned by God. Sin is like a beast that is at your door desiring to have you. He, uh, Sin desires to destroy us. And so Jesus is the new Joshua who destroys our enemy, who saves us from our enemy of sin. How does he do that? Well, what did I say at the beginning? He saves us firstly from the pain of sin. Our enemy wants to destroy us. He wants to bring great suffering upon us. And we see that happen. Just like the Israelites in the Old Testament wandered in a desert for many years, this world is a desert too. This world, as much as we try to pamper ourselves in it, it is a desert. There, are, there is much pain and suffering in this world. But Jesus is the one who saves us from the pain and suffering of this world. And how else does he save us from pain and suffering? Well, not just the pain and suffering of this world because of our sin, but the pain and suffering that is to come in the next world, in the place called hell, which is where we deserve to go because we've sinned against God. Because of our sin, we deserve to be eternally punished in hell with pain and suffering. But Jesus has come so that we can be saved from that greater desert that we all deserve to be in. He saves us so that we never enter into that place at all. But how else does Jesus save us from our enemy, from sin? He saves us from the pain of sin, but he also saves us from the power of sin. He saves us from the power of sin. In this world, we wrestle with sin. Temptations come. And then we find ourselves wanting to do those things and we find ourselves even doing those things that we know are wrong, but we find ourselves under the power of sin and doing them. But what does Jesus do? He has come as the new Joshua to fight our enemy of sin so that we are released from that power of sin, so that we do right rather than wrong. And ultimately, not just in this world, but in the next, we will go to be with him in heaven, the promised land, where we will sin no more. It's a wonderful thing about the Lord Jesus, he helps break the back of sin in this world so that we sin less. But one day we look forward to this time where we will sin no more, where we'll be in a place where there is no sin and we'll no longer feel the temptation to sin at all. And so Jesus is the saviour from sins. He is the new Joshua who fights our enemy of sin. He fights the pain of sin and he fights the power of sin. But how did he do that? How does he fight sin? How does he make it possible for us to escape the pain of sin and the power of sin? Well, he did it by his sufferings at the cross. Just as Joshua entered into the promised land to fight the enemies of the Israelites many years ago, Jesus also went to fight a great battle. And it was at the cross with the sufferings that he experienced. Why did Jesus die? Well, when Jesus died on the cross, he was fighting against the pain of sin. He was fighting against the power of sins the sins of his people. Jesus at the cross, he fought the painful curse of sin that we deserve. The curse, the punishment that we deserve of sin in this world, but also in the next. We read that in Galatians chapter three, the apostle Paul writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. We have the curse of the law upon us because we've sinned, but Christ became that curse for us. Just as he quotes from the Old Testament, Paul says, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Jesus was hung on the tree so many years ago because he was taking the penalty that we deserve for our sin. And he didn't just fight the penalty of sin, he also fought the power of sin at the cross. At the cross, Jesus broke the power of sin over us. We read that in 1 Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. It's this wonderful truth, if you have trusted in Christ Jesus, that you've been united with Jesus at the cross, and so you effectively died with him at the cross, which means then you're released from the power of sin. The Apostle Paul makes a great deal of this in, in uh, Romans chapter six and Romans chapter seven, where he, he, even in Romans seven, he gives this illustration that just as a spouse, when they die, you're released from that spouse and free to remarry. So it is for us who are part of Jesus's people. We have died with Jesus and we're free to remarry. We're free from the power of sin. We're no longer united to sin. We're free from it. We've died to sin and so we do not live for sin any longer. And it's all by Jesus at the cross. By his death at the cross, the power of sin is broken. So, how did Jesus fight our enemy of sin? By fighting the pain of sin at the cross and fighting the power of sin at the cross. But how do we know he was successful? How do we know that Jesus saved his people from their sins at the cross? Well, it was by his resurrection from the dead. By the way that he rose from the dead, he showed that he conquered death, he conquered sin. And then how else do we know that he has been successful? He's gone into the promised land ahead of us. He ascended up into heaven itself. He's gone back to heaven. He came from heaven, told us it's a wonderful land and we too can enter into it. And then he has shown how we can enter into it by his death, by his fighting the enemies, and then he has gone into it to show that we can follow in his steps. But who gets to go into the promised land? Who gets to go into the promised land of heaven? Is it everyone? No, it's not everyone. What do we read in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 1? Jesus is to be called Jesus. Why? Because he will save everyone from their sins. No, it doesn't say that. What does it say? It says he will save his people from their sins. It's only his people who get salvation from sin, from the power of sin and from the pain of sin. Who are Christ's people? They are people who, like the Israelites with Joshua so many years ago, that second generation of Israelites in the desert, they are like those Israelites who then trust in the new Joshua and therefore get to go into the promised land. Whereas the rest of mankind, the people who are not Christ people, what are they like? Who are they like? They're like the Israelites of so many years ago, who under the leadership of Moses came to the edge of the promised land. And what did they do? They did not believe that they could enter into the promised land. They did not trust Joshua and Moses to lead them into the promised land. And so what happened to them? For 40 years, they wandered in the desert and then died in the desert. And that is the same for people today. uh, People who are outside of Christ, who are not part of his people, they do not believe him. They reject his report and what happens to them? Very similar to the Israelites of long ago. They wander for about 40 years in the desert of this world, and then they die and are punished for eternity in hell. You may only have about 40 more years to live in this world. Just like the Israelites of many years ago, they only had about 40 years. There were all all these adults that refused to go into the promised land under Joshua and Moses. They had about 40 years and they were all gone. And it's the same for people today. Sadly, many today are like the Israelites of long ago, but with the new Joshua, Jesus Christ. How so? Jesus has come from heaven and told them, told the world, they too can enter into the promised land, the land of heaven if we follow him. But what do people do? What do people do? They don't believe Jesus. They don't believe Jesus and so never follow him into heaven. Why don't they believe him? Why do people reject Jesus? When he says, I've come from heaven, and you too can enter into heaven and I've paved the way. I've, I've made it as easy as possible. I've fought your enemy for you. All you have to do is follow me. Why don't people follow him? Why don't they trust in Jesus? Well, they're afraid of the short-term pain of following Jesus. What pain? The pain that comes of fighting the enemy of sin alongside Christ as we begin our journey into the promised land. What happens if you trust in Jesus and begin to follow him? Well, you lose the pleasures of sin. We lose the pleasures of sin that we love so much if we follow Jesus Christ. And so we're like the Israelites of long ago, where we're so concerned about the pain of entering into the Promised Land, the short-term pain of fighting the enemy, that we don't want to enter at all. And that's the case for many people today. As they reflect upon the fact that they need to turn away from their sin, they don't want to do it. They love their sin. They love the pleasures of sin. And so they don't want to fight and overcome their sin and then enter into the promised land itself and have rest. And often the other thing that happens when you start following Christ is that Satan gets very angry and he inflicts suffering upon Christ's people. There's short-term suffering in this world that Christ inflicts upon people who are following Christ, that uh, Satan inflicts upon people who are following Christ. And people don't like it and they turn away from following Christ. But what should people know? They should know that the long-term pain of rejecting the new Joshua is far worse. Why? Making friends of sin is a dangerous thing that brings much pain in this world and much pain in the next. Remember, sin is our enemy. It crouches at our door, desires to have us. And to destroy us. And you want to make friends with that enemy? What does an enemy do? You think it's a friend, but what does an enemy do? He'll be friendly. He'll give you some pleasures. But then he'll stab you in the back. And sin does that. You think it's going to be pleasurable. But then there's a sting in the tail that comes and gets you. As you feel the guilt of your sin. As you feel the pain and suffering that comes as a natural consequence often in this world for your sin. You go around murdering people, won't be long before you're incarcerated, and feeling the pain of isolation from the community and the shame that comes with it. You go around sinning, you'll start to feel pain from your sin. And of course, long-term, of course, there's the suffering in hell. There's the suffering that we deserve in hell, the eternal sufferings of hell that will come. It's a long-term pain, but it is coming to those who sin against the living God. So what about you this morning? Will you reject the new Joshua and wander in this desert of this world for about 40 years and then enter the desert of hell, a far greater desert? Don't do it. Listen to the new Joshua. Trust him. Trust the man from heaven, Jesus Christ, to take you there to conquer the sin in your life, to conquer the pain of sin, so that you can live forever in the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, blessings upon blessings, where there is no pain and there is no sin. This is actually what is taught for us in the book of Hebrews, where there's a parallel made between the Joshua of the Old Testament and the new Joshua of the Lord Jesus and the Israelites of long ago and the people of the world today. I encourage you to turn with me now there to Hebrews chapter three, page 1186. I've brought out this parallel all this time with you, and now I want to show you how the author of Hebrews has the same parallel. Page 1186, and we'll be reading a a good slab of Hebrews chapter three, and then also into Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter three, page 1186, if you have a church Bible, and we'll pick it up at verse 12. Verse 12 of Hebrews chapter three at the top of the page of 1,186. Hebrews chapter 3, reading from verse 12, where the author says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, the enemy is sin there, and he loves to deceive. He loves to deceive us to make us think that everything's going to be okay. Verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. That's actually a quote from Psalm 95 and basically telling you, don't harden your hearts like the Israelites did so many years ago in the Rebellion. The rebellion was when they rejected Moses, they rejected Joshua and Caleb, the two spies that said we could go in, and they rebelled against the word of God to go into the promised land. And he he explains this for us in verse 16. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry, that's God, for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed. So we see that they were not able to enter. Why? Because of their unbelief. So the Israelites, why didn't they go into the promised land? Because of their unbelief. Why did they experience God's wrath in the desert? Because of their unbelief. Why did God say, you will never enter my eternal rest? Because of your unbelief. But, verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us... Be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. We have had the gospel message preached to us as well, just like they did in the Old Testament. They had a a good news. That's what the gospel means. Good news. Good news. You can go into this promised land. We have heard that too. But they did not combine that message with faith. And so verse 3 says, Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. He's saying we we who believe, we enter that rest. We go into that heavenly rest. And now he's going to explain what this rest is. Uh, He says, um, uh, Just as... Uh, Now we have believed, enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And in the second half of verse 3, it says, and yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Basically, in chapter 4, you've got to understand there's a whole bunch of rests being spoken about, a bunch of promised lands. And the rest he's speaking about is not the rest that, that... Uh, God began when he finished creating the world, but it's another rest. And we read that in verse 6. It says, It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. The Israelites in the Old Testament, they did not enter the promised land, the rest of God, because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua, the Old Testament Joshua, had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There's a Sabbath still to be had. Not the promised land of Israel, which is overseas, but there's another rest that is still to be had. And so what do we need to do verse 10 says for anyone who enters God's rest also rest from his own work just as God did from his let us therefore make every enter every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience who's the there it's the Israelites of the Old Testament their example of disobedience is held up by the author of Hebrews as what not to do don't refuse to listen to Joshua and fall in the desert and never enter into God's eternal rest. Instead, hear the message from Jesus, from the new Joshua. There is a promised land. There is a way of salvation from sin. And combine that message with faith. Believe in him. And then you are part of the people of God. And you will enter into that rest. Even now you have entered it by the fact that you have eternal life from him now. But you may say, how do I know I'm part of his people? And so I will surely enter into God's heavenly rest with Christ Jesus one day. How can we know we are part of his people? Say, I, I believe, I do. I want to be part of that heavenly rest. I believe Joshua ca- uh, Jesus came. I believe that he was born of mary i believe that he died in my place but how can i know i'm part of his people and one day will go and be in heaven itself well jesus saves us from his from our sins he saves his people from their sins that's what we're told there in verse 21 of matthew chapter 1 but how does that then help us to know if we're part of god's people well what does it mean that jesus saves us from our sins He saves us from the pain of sin. He saves us so that we can go and be in the rest in heaven. But what else did we understand? He saves us from the power of sin. He saves us from the power of sin. What did Joshua do so many years ago in the Old Testament? He saved Israel from the power of their enemies so that their enemies no longer ruled over them. Their enemies were conquered one by one. Now, how is that helpful for us with the new Joshua? Well, if we are part of Christ's people, then he saves us from the power of sin even now so then we can know that we're part of his people and will one day be saved from the pain of sin for all of eternity. Do you want to know if you're part of God's people, if you're part of Christ's people and saved from your sins? Well, look at your life and see if sin powerfully rules in your life. Does sin rule over your life? As we look at our lives, do we see discontentment with sin? Do we see that we're discontented with the sin as it pops up in our lives? Do we see a discontentment? Do we see power in our lives to fight sin? And do we see victory over sin? That some sins we actually conquer, just as Joshua conquered the the town of Jericho so many years ago, the city of Jericho. Do we see the walls come tumbling down on sins in our lives? If we see victory over sin, if we see power to fight sin, if we see a discontentment with sin ruling over us in any shape or form, what does that mean? It means we have good evidence from the Holy Spirit that we are Christ's people and that he has saved us from the power of sin. Otherwise we'd still be content in our sin. We would see ourselves still sinning and not resisting and we wouldn't see victory. But if we see victory, if we see power to fight sin, if we see that we're discontented with sin, we have good evidence that we have been saved from our sins, saved from the power of sin now, and that will then confirm the salvation from sin in the future. Salvation from the power of sin for all of eternity and salvation from the pain of sin for all of eternity. But if you look at your life now, if you reflect on the past week, and you see that sin still rules your life, that you've never died to sin, what should you do? You should recognise that you're still outside of Christ's people, that you're not being mentioned there in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, that he would save his people from their sins. That doesn't include you. You're still outside. Any faith that you profess to have in Christ Jesus is a false faith if you do not see any power over sin. And what else should you recognise? You should recognise that you still have the pain of sin coming to you. Pain in this world, but of course in the next, the pain of eternal fires of hell. What do you need to do? You need to go back to basics. You need to listen to the gospel message of Jesus Christ that he has come from heaven and saves those who trust in him, who trust in his death as the penalty that was paid for their sins so many years ago. You need to go back to basics and trust in Christ Jesus and begin fighting sin with his power by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what you need to do. If you see yourself, you look at your life and you see that you're contented with your sin, you don't see any power to resist sin and you don't see victory over sin, you need to go back to basics and trust in Jesus for the first time and begin to fight sin. And then what should you do? You should combine with the people of God, with Christ's people, his people, and rejoice by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why do Christ's people rejoice? Why, if you reflect upon your life now and you see your victory over sin, you see your discontent with sin, you see power to fight sin, and you know you're part of Christ's people, why should you rejoice? Well, we rejoice because the new Joshua, Jesus Christ himself, is fighting with us. He's saving us from the power of sin now and We of course rejoice because one day he will save us from the power of sin once and for all. He's done it at the cross so many years ago, but the application of it yet to come when we are transferred to the promised land, heaven itself, the land flowing with milk and honey, where there will be no power of sin over us anymore at all. And there'll be no pain for sin anymore because we'll be in the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey with untold blessings and with rest from our enemies on every side, including the great enemy of sin and the other great enemy of Satan. We will have rest from them for all of eternity. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak to our Lord. Lord Jesus, we praise you as the new Joshua, the one who saves his people from their sins. But Lord, we confess that we needed saving too, as we have sinned, and deserve eternal pain. But we thank you for going to the cross so that the pain and power of sin is broken for us who trust in you. So Lord, we ask that you would help us to keep fighting sin, to by the power of the Holy Spirit to get victory after victory over sin and help us to look forward always to entering the promised land, to entering heaven itself where there is no pain and there is no sin. And Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who still does not believe that you came from heaven, grant them faith now so that the pain and power of sin is broken and that they will enter the promised land with us and rejoice around your throne for all eternity. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.